Welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. I'm Sudipto Srivastava. And I am Nick Jeans. In this podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. Hello, welcome. I'm Nick Jeans here with Sudipto Srivastava, and we are joined today by Natalia Sholomayansky, a friend of the pod since way back in the early days. Welcome, Natalia. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, Today, we're going to talk about uh, the problem of language, uh, interpretive services in healthcare uh, in general, but specifically in telemedicine. And this is something I encounter, you know, when I'm working clinically in the emergency department or, uh, you know, seeing patients via telemedicine, is that there's a substantial fraction of patients that have limited English proficiency, uh, and but they can muddle through, and there's this enormous temptation to just kind of muddle through the encounter. Uh, they seem to understand what I'm saying. Or maybe they've got a family member that seems to be uh, explaining things to them. So it seems like on the outside that like that, that things are going well. But we know um, from research and we know from uh, experience that you know these are complicated issues. The vocabulary is quite specialized. And not relying on a certified interpreter for these kind of sometimes uh, critical life or death uh, healthcare decisions is uh, is not just bad care; it's it's uh, it's bad practice and it's actually against guidelines. So we want to be able to quickly and easily provide interpretive services to to patient encounters, but it's not always as easy as we would like. I think that's kind of the scope of the problem. Yeah, you know, and Nick, listening to you speak, uh, it seems that this might be much bigger than what we should realize as a problem. Because um, you know, there have been a ton of studies done in the area of hospital-acquired infections and so on, but very limited studies done on, uh, I think your friend did one, on you know, the impact of the, the, the challenges of language not being spoken in the patient's sort of preferred areas and, and what that does in terms of uh, patient care. And if I think about it as a patient myself, there's just so much that a doctor is telling me about my medication regimen, the protocols that I have to follow, recovery, what I should do. And we, we don't do an amazing job in English right now. So imagine how that gets compounded when we do that in a language that is not the patient's native language and they have trouble understanding, interpreting, and so on. So I think we're, we're hitting upon some things that are big, but, uh, but let's hear from Natalia, your thoughts. Because of the pandemic, there's been a huge increase in the number of video visits, and this translation services issue has transferred over to our video visits. Our mobile app itself is in English. There is no ability for an interpreter to join the video visit. It was an issue that we needed to solve to find a way to have our translation service vendors or our internal translation staff be able to join the video visits. If you think about it, you know, not only is it just an issue of accessibility, but because of the pandemic, it's a risk to their personal safety to have to go in person to a video visit, I mean, in person to a doctor's visit, just because they don't speak English very well. So we need to find a solution that worked for those folks during the pandemic so they can stay at home. And this translation problem, it really isn't just an issue in healthcare, it's an issue across all apps. Most of them are in English, and it's it's a challenge that every non-native English speaker faces every day. Yeah, great points, Natalia. And I think um, I want to sort of go out on a limb and start uh, assigning a little bit of blame here, because you know the 
EHR vendors have done a pretty sucky job <laughs> when it comes to this. You know, everything coming out from these large EHR vendors and even maybe the smaller ones is just plain vanilla instead of English. And you know, and I don't know if it's because it's a very complicated issue or they just are sidelining it, or maybe there's not enough demand from the hospitals that's uh, resulting in this, but I, I just uh, think that they have a huge responsibility to bear here. Um, you know, I did a quick sort of scan in preparation for this, uh, this podcast and went out to, you know, the hospital websites of states that have, you know, large Spanish-speaking populations and was quite disappointed to see that in many of these states like Arizona and Texas and California and New Mexico and Colorado, you know, the hospital, the top hospital websites don't offer anything um, in, a, in a different language to our patients. They're not even sort of seeking them out. And so, I don't know, maybe there's EHRs to blame, there's hospitals to blame, but what do you think? It's, it's everyone's problem, really. Uh, you know, the, the EHRs should be pushing for it. Our clinicians should be pushing for it. The patients should be advocated for um, but again, it, it really is the problem of every single app. It's, it's really not just the EHRs. However, they certainly have more incentive and more reason to help patients, considering that's the whole purpose of medical care, right? We're supposed to help people. Well, yeah, it, it is interesting. And I, I like to get into sometimes the technical details. So like we, and it's fun to throw EHRs under the bus, but they are really just one of, of many apps and services that comes together in health IT. So we have a registration system that is different than our electronic health record. And if the language isn't properly captured in the registration system, it doesn't pass into the EHR, which does have some multilingual capabilities, but doesn't get used because of the interface between the registration system and the EHR. Or the provider uh, might not you know, select the right option. And, and so the, the discharge instructions come out in, in one language, but the headers remain in, the, in English or something like that. So lots of like you know, little quirks and technical reasons why the experience isn't as good as it should be. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a problem of, of navigating these apps and these services, but also delivering the content in a language uh, that, that patients can understand. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a fair point. You know, and maybe now in, in trying to, uh, you know, step away from identifying the problem and the challenge to really sort of getting to solutions. You know, on this podcast, we talk um, about digital empathy. So how do we take uh, digital empathy and translate that uh, or convert that into a, a, a solution where we can take this complex problem of, you know, translation services, interpretation services, and use digital tools to, to help uh, reach out to our patients. Natalia, would love your thoughts. Yeah, at Mount Sinai, we took a twofold approach. One, again, as I mentioned, the app itself is not in English. We now have the ability to send a link out directly to the patient so they don't have to navigate the app in English to figure out how to join their free day visit. The other part of it is certainly the interpretation services themselves. So we have the ability to now dial out that language line number so they can then join by voice and translate that way. Uh, if it's someone who needs sign language, then we also have our own internal services who can join by video uh, to offer that service. 
And that's pretty cool. Uh, it's it's fun to think about the mechanics of, of this and, you know, maybe we're getting a little uh, accustomed to it or useful, but I was reading about like how Zoom came to win the uh, teleconferencing uh, battle and, and why why didn't Skype uh, or, or GoToMeeting or some of these other solutions like that had been around longer, like why didn't they uh, take advantage of the pandemic as well? And I think Zoom's secret sauce was that it, it had a better ability to add new uh, participants to a call. You could you could invite them via email or text, and and when they joined, there was no lag. There was like Zoom was better uh, on the back end at like distributing the bandwidth and, and getting new participants on. Whether it was like you know going from uh, two people to three people, or going from like thirty people to fifty people, like there was it just didn't seem as buggy and laggy as, as some of these uh, competitors, and. So, like, it, the pandemic's been going on for 15 months. We've gotten really accustomed to using Zoom and similar services, but like, maybe the EHRs and uh, and the telemedicine services platforms that we got to give them a little more time to be able to digitally loop in an interpreter or a third party to to kind of facilitate this translation. Definitely, most most of the vendors at this point don't have that ability to dial out, but they're aware of it being an issue and are working on it. Uh, several, I think, already have that capability. But the, the rise in video visits really highlighted numerous issues that telehealth vendors have, and it's, it's a new service to be able to offer video visits. So certainly they're in their early stages and need to work on a lot of these, but it, there's reasons that we're using multiple applications here in order to provide video visit services because not one vendor has been able to address all the different you know reasons that someone might need to leverage video for example a doctor might need to speak to another doctor um, or a paramedic out in the field needs to speak to an emergency doctor for a reference there's also the case of, you know, acute care, someone's actually in an emergency department and or uh, inpatient unit, and then they need a specialist who isn't actually located on site there. They need a video to connect to them. So there's an array of things that are needed aside from just the, the standard patient to their doctor uh, video visit when they're not feeling well and they're at home. And there isn't a vendor that can address all of these services. So we ended up with multiple of them. On top of that, there's also even a, a call quality issue still, and that relates to the, the fact that, well, not just call quality, but even patient preference. Some patients want to use a mobile native mobile app because it has higher quality to join their video visit, and others don't want to download a mobile app, so they just want a, a link to join via a browser, whether it's on their PC or on their phone. The problem with the browser version is there's quality issues, and the app version, the problem is the one, not everyone wants to download an app, right? Um, but there isn't a vendor at this time that can offer both options. So you're basically choosing between, you know, making it more easily accessible by having a web version or having better quality with an app. So there's, there's definitely challenges that still need to be addressed aside from just this language issue. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for clarifying that. It, it... Sounds like uh, this problem will, will be with us for a while longer. And yet, always interested in predicting the future. 
And looking, uh, you know, to that period, uh, two to five to 10 years ahead, when hopefully uh, all these things get worked out. And I can't help but notice you see these uh, pitches and commercials for like Microsoft and Google doing real-time AI translation on video conferencing calls and stuff. Is that is that really going to solve this or at least uh, help us out a lot? Or is it kind of like the self-driving car that just always seems a few years in the future, but no one's really ready to hand over the keys yet to robots. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting because, uh, you know, people have been predicting the rise of uh, self-driving cars and telemedicine and AI, and they, sometimes they, they fall short. So, uh, Nick, uh, I'm, as it comes to prediction time, I'm going to you know, draw some inspiration from Natalia and, uh, and the work that, you know, she described that her organization is doing because it's, uh, even though it may not sort of seem um, so because it's at a certain scale, it's, it's pretty transformational to be able to bring in people for sign language help, to be able to connect multiple providers and with the translation services. So when it comes to my prediction, I'm going to go a little bit low tech, of course, combined with digital. Um, and I want to focus on the, I believe that we will see more innovation in the human intervention balanced with the digital channel side of it. So more integration of, you know, translation tools and interpretation tools within the existing digital channels of texting, voice communication, telemedicine calls, and so on. So so that's what I'm going to go with. But Natalia, you're our guest and you get the final word. Thank you, as I should always. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I think there are two possibilities for how this will turn out. The first is what Nick mentioned, which is the AI. It could be live translation directly in the video visit. And the second is rather than the mobile app itself providing the translation services, maybe the consumer comes with their own product that plugs into their phone or whatever they're using and translates things for them directly. Now, this AI issue is that it's hard to teach an AI how someone naturally speaks, which is where the human intervention is better at. But the thing is, I think with medical language, there's theoretically less room for interpretation, even though the words themselves may be more complex, there's less room for an AI to make an error. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I think medical, the medical field is an area which might be a good starting point for any company looking to get into the AI translation services. But it'll always be hard for it to, you know, translate nuances from English to Spanish or, or any other language, any, you know, catchphrases and things like that just don't, don't translate well, but they may get there eventually and it just will take some time. And I think the, the handy part of not just the, the AI built into the telehealth piece, but if you are using earbuds or something like that, the transit for you is you can bring them into any interaction you have, whether it's mobile, in person, um, and you're less reliant on having a vendor, you know, the telehealth vendor or the mobile app vendor uh, translate for you. Ah, yeah, the, the universal translator. Just bring that. Yes. <laughs> no, but I, I, I like I like what you're saying though about how medicine is uh, it's got its own complicated vocabulary, but uh, but there's less nuance perhaps, or there's uh, 
uh, less room for inter. It's not literature or like a flowery language or something. Uh, well, well said, and uh, thank you for exploring this topic with us. We're so happy to have you uh, join us today, Natalia. And um, please uh, join us next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.